everybody, it's me, Katie Osaurus, and welcome back to Infinite Quest. This week on Infinite Quest, we're talking more about neurodivergency in school with the IEP strategist, aka Kim Kazito. As always, before we begin, we've got a few announcements for you. First and foremost, we wanted to let you know about our May and June Patreon drive. As we get ready to move Eric to Georgia in July, we are working diligently in May and June to make Infinite Quest as accessible and sustainable as possible. And that is where you come in. If you are interested in becoming a member of the Infinite Quest family, you can do that by visiting patreon.com slash infinite quest. Over the months of May and June, we are going to be posting some extra bonus content over on the Patreon as a thank you for your support, starting with a watch along of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, because Eric had never seen Indiana Jones and I don't even know how we were even friends, but it's, it, it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter. We watched it. We watched the movie. It was great. It's fine. I love Indiana Jones so much. <sighs> it's upsetting. He also hasn't seen Star Wars, which is probably the next one we're going to do. So over the course of May and June, if you head on over to the Patreon, we're going to have some special content for you. Um, feel free to check it out. Again, that's patreon.com slash infinite quest. Uh, with that chef's kiss of an opener, uh, welcome to episode 41 of Infinite Quest with the IEP strategist, Kim Kazito. Here we go. Transition. Kimberly Kizito, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so we were hoping you could start with um, just a little bit about how you got into IEP and, and sort of your journey to get where you are. Okay. Well, um, well, for those who don't know, an IEP is an independent educational program. And so it is a, uh, that is the name for the paperwork that follows a child who qualifies for special education in school. And that paperwork kind of plans out their education and how they're going to meet goals and different accommodations and things that they need to end up to get a free appropriate public education or FAPE, as it were. And so I have a 15-year-old daughter who is autistic and was diagnosed at uh, probably a little bit after age two. And one would think that, you know, you put your kid in the public school system and they're going to teach them. And, you know, if they have special needs, they're going to take care of them and all of that. And um, sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. And very early on when I was trying to figure out, okay, which program should she be in? And, you know, how does this work? I was felt as if nobody was sharing information with me. And I kept being told, you are an equal parent. You'll hear this all the time. Parents are an equal part of the IEP system. <laughs> and I thought, well, how am I an equal part when I don't know what's going on? I wanted to know which program they, they place kids sometimes, depending on the state. So some schools don't have this service or that service. And so they may say, okay, well, you're zoned for ABC school, but your child can go to one, two, three school instead. And I wanted a list of the services so I could look it up. And they said, well, that exist. And just little things like that. And I thought, this isn't really good. <laughs> and so I ended up um, hiring an advocate, which is kind of like the general title that I, I, I call myself the I, I made that up, the IEP strategist, because advocate kind of puts schools on edge. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, somebody's going to come in and yell at us. But um, I ended up hiring an advocate to advocate for me. And um, after she came to a meeting with me, 
I said, really cool. I'm going to do what you do. You know, she kind of chuckled <laughs> and she ended up hiring me a few years later. And so I studied under her and we recently moved to a new state. And so I kind of opened my own shop here. So that is me. So what I do now is I kind of teach that COVID, you know, I don't, a lot of times I go into the schools and, and sit next to the parents and help advocate for their kids and um, COVID happened. <laughs> so I've kind of expanded. I do all 50 states now, but um, I also want to teach parents how to do this themselves. I don't want them to feel like they're dependent on me. So that is kind of a pivot that I'm doing now in, in creating ways to teach parents how to do this on their own. That's awesome. Um, so I guess maybe this is kind of like a basic question. Um, but so you talked about what an IEP is, but like who is an IEP for like, and, and what kind of things can you ask for with an IEP? A real good question. A lot of people don't understand that. So an IEP, it's like I said, it's just a document. So it's a, it's a, uh, let's see, my daughter's is probably about 15 pages, but I did one that was 58 pages the other day. So depending on that child's needs, but in order to get an IEP, there are three qualifications. And so the IEP is a federal, it's part of the federal law, the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act idea. So, you know, we like our, we like our acronyms in the government. <laughs> and so if a child has one of 13 classifications or categories of diagnoses, such as autism, dyslexia, those types of things, there's different categories. And the testing of that child that's done at the school's expense um, with the child determines that that disability hinders or will hinder that child's education, then they qualify for an IEP. And I, the term IEP is also interchangeable with specially designed instruction. So if, for instance, the child has, uh, let, let's talk, I talk about my kid all the time. She's in here, by the way. She said, are you doing Katiosaurus today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I told her, be quiet. But she, um, she qualifies for an IEP for autism. And what they what that means for her, um, and it doesn't mean for every autistic kid, she gets specially designed instruction. So she's in regular ninth grade classes um, because cognitively her testing shows that she could handle the classes. But uh, autism, as some people know, is a behavioral can you know affect behavior, can affect social, can affect emotional. And so for her, she needs a lot of. Um, prompting and help with coping with anxiety, coping with um, sensory processing. She wears uh, noise canceling headphones and executive functioning is huge for her as we all know of having ADHD. <laughs> Eric, I don't know if you have ADHD. I'm, I, I don't know. <laughs> oh, oh yes. Oh yes, I do. <laughs> Very like much so. Thrive here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so like for another child that has, that may be dyslexic. Um, that child may be in third grade, they can handle all of the work of a third grader, but they would get specially designed instruction in reading. And so that, you know, that would be outlined in an IEP. So it's basically the biggest thing is specially designed instruction. How can we design this instruction to meet the needs of the learner that has um, any of those categories of, of um, disabilities? This is, this is maybe just a absolutely ridiculous semantics question when you say instruction you're talking about like the actual teaching in a classroom not like you get a different 
kind of list of things to tell you how to do your homework, right? Both. Okay. Okay. I was, I was confused. <laughs> I don't mind ridiculous questions. Um, and not a ridiculous question. Um, I am like the founder of ridiculous questions. It's not ridiculous because to me, it's usually like three other people have it and then they just don't want to ask. But no, there are outlines for certain, for some kids. My kid, you can't just tell her, hey, so we're going to do the homework today and it's on page 10 and you're going to take it home and you're going to do the every other problem. And you're some kids are fine with that because they're taking it and writing it down. My kids got in her IEP that their her assignments must be written. Cool. So it's instructions and instructions. Exactly. Cool. So it's part of, there's a bunch of parts to it. So we, it, there's different parts into an IEP, but, um, and on the, on the federal level, it has to include certain parts. And then um, there's all these different software companies that have, oh, we can make money off of, you know, selling software to school. So they all have, but they all have the fundamentals. So where's the kid now? Um, what is their disability? How does that hinder their learning? What are the goals? So one of my daughter's goals, because it's ADHD, is to um, work on not interrupting. She has to, she's very impulsive, so she may jump in and answer a question when um, the teacher hasn't asked or jump in. And so, and then how is she going to reach that goal? So they would say, well, we want to reduce that by so much. How are we going to teach her and what type of instruction are we going to provide that will help her with that particular goal? And then it's measured every year. Uh, so I was wondering, uh, it seems like there's sort of a, a very broad scope of, of, of things that a child might need or that might, that might help a child. And I imagine yeah. it, it, it's, it, it might be difficult for, for a parent um, or the child themselves to figure out what they can ask for. And so I was wondering if you could talk exactly. about, are there any sort of lesser known things that can be asked for with an IEP or uncommon things that can be asked for with an IEP that our listeners might want to know? Yeah. And it's interesting because you can ask for anything. <laughs> anything? Well, I... my daughter, there's a lot of, if you are familiar with um, some of the behaviors of autistic kids, um, a lot ha will have, um, fixation on chewing. Mm -hmm. And so they may be chewing on things. And so my daughter for the longest time, I think it was second or third grade test, I don't remember, but she had a pencil and like, so she had her own little pencil box, you know, and it, because hers had all the bite marks. <laughs> and you know, when I was a kid, you had your own little school supplies. You didn't have mm -hmm. to share with little, so now they got to share. So, um, so no, she had her own little box because nobody wanted the pencil that she chewed on. And I found out about that. And I'm like, I, that's, Food. I don't want my kid chewing on pencils all day, you know, <laughs> and um, they suggested that we provide her with these chewies. So there's these necklaces that have little rubber things on them or whatever, and then she could chew on them. <laughs> She went on plastic and BPA and whatever, you know, I don't know, it's crap. And so I said, well, how about we give her gum, which is like a no-no in elementary school, you know, and they, they, I worked with a really, her elementary school was great, but I said, well, how about we give her a piece in the morning and after lunch, we provide you, the teachers with the gum and you give her a piece in the afternoon. And they were like, okay. And we did that for the longest time. I think when, the, when she went to middle school, they were allowed to have gum. But um, that, and there's I, some of the things that I ask for that um, get get fought. <laughs> I like for kids to be able to record classes. 
um, especially if you have a sensory um, sensory issue and you may, or ADHD, you may have a slower processing. And I usually get around that by saying, you can be in control. So we have a tape recorder, I don't know if you can see that, um, little mini tape recorder. And we provide that to the teacher. So it's like, okay, I know that there's teachers, the teachers at Titan always wonder what's going on in your class that you don't want my kid just randomly, you know, <laughs> but I'll say we will provide it to you, the teacher. My kid doesn't just get to turn it on and off. You turn it on when you're going to do your lecture, and then you turn it off and just upload it to us. You know, it's a little, it works like that. I've had to fight. Um, this doesn't happen too much anymore, but you know, we, we used to have books for school <laughs> and now everything's online, but I always wanted an extra set for home because kids lose things or they forget to bring them something home. Um, but there's all types of different things. There's some kids, you know, you don't get to eat in school, in public school as much anymore. So there's kids that really need like a boost, a snack. Um, I have no idea why they don't like to do that. But if I write it in the IEP, you can, a lot of times you can tell the difference, a big difference of a kid. Some, some of these kids have lunch at like 10 30 and they don't get out of school till three, you know, so it's like, well, can they have a <laughs> snack or the afternoon? So, um, those are the big ones, just like, you know, kind of like out of the box ones. Usually you'll hear more about special, I mean, there's a kid, kids that have cognitive impairments. And so their special education has to do with um, making sure that they are learning in the best way, they, way that they can at their level. And, but the way the government is designed, they have something called the least restrictive environment, meaning they want those children to be learning alongside their non-disabled peers as often as possible. So how we make that happen is, you know, how can we put this child who may not be able to function at the same level as a 10 year old and is maybe not able to read or whatever, any other issues, how can we put them in those environments as often as possible? So can we set it up so they get to take art class with the kids or can we set it up so they get to take PE or recess or those types of things? And so um, the, I, I stay employed because there are plenty of schools out there that do not either understand the law and they just kind of, we've always done things this way and this is how it goes. And then I get a client and they tell me and I'm just like, that's not the law. <laughs> and then I kind of explain it to the school and we do it. Or they're just saying it because they don't want to do it. Uh, well, it's interesting that you talked about the law, um, because one of the things that we run into the most is, and the feedback that we hear a lot from parents is that because ADHD is not specifically classified as a learning disability, it makes getting IEPs for your ADHD kid often a lot more difficult, especially if they don't have like a learning disability, like dyslexia or something on top of it. Um, do you have any advice for like our ADHD parents who are maybe, maybe like seeing their kids struggle and, but like the law says that it's not a learning disability. So you're out of luck. Well, the law also said, this is, I, I get IEPs for people that are listening. I'm snapping. I get IEPs like that for kids that have ADHD. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the, the main thing that I like to tell parents is when you are seeking 
testing. So in order to get an IEP, even if you get a diagnosis from a doctor, the doctor uses that DSM-5 booklet and they go through check, 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 oh, mm -hmm. you know, and that's it. And then they get a code. That code goes to the insurance company. And every time, for instance, they say 299 autism, that's, you know, we're going to pay for medicine under this code. When you go to the school, you take that piece of paper and say, hey, I've got this ADHD diagnosis. And the school says so. <laughs> and you're like, I want to get services. And so the school says, oh, well, we have to do our own testing. And so parents are like, ah, it's all over again. But, um... I tell parents to lead with not the diagnosis, but the symptoms. So, and this is, I'm speaking in particular to ADHD. If you have a diagnosis other than ADHD, you can say, hey, we just got this dyslexia diagnosis. But if you are looking for the school to do any sort of testing, Google the symptoms. Not everybody knows everything that's ADHD. And then say, oh, she does this, she does this, she does this. <laughs> Especially girls that are, like, that was me, not hyperactive, but in a kind of, um, and you can just go check, 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 and say, hey, <laughs> is, I've noticed that, you know, these three or four things. And as a result, her grades seem to really be something, you know. Um, can we, or... As a result, her grades are not where they could be because uh, if they did that to me, they would say, well, she's capable. She's just not doing it. You know, so that is so we just want to get in the door to get the testing to see what's going on. Um, what ends up happening, what I also end up doing is explaining to parents that if the child it does have ADHD but does not need specially designed instruction, a 504 will be fine for them. But you run into the situation, like my youngest, our kids are seven years apart, so my youngest is eight, um, where she's ADHD hyperactive, but I did not realize how inattentive she was <laughs> until like first grade. And I was just like, you pay no attention in kindergarten. <laughs> you know, I'm and so I'm like going through the motions. And um, a lot of times, if your child is not standing on a desk, throwing books at the pregnant teachers, you know, they're not getting that attention. If they don't have like, like big behaviors, they're just looking at the kids like they're fine because the government requires that A, the, so FAPE stands, FAPE, F-A-P, like party E, stands for free, appropriate public education. And the A is appropriate, you know, appropriate. That just means we get you in, you pass, you get out there. If you want better than appropriate, you better pay for private school. <laughs> That's really what it is. And so you'll hear parents say, I want the best for little Katie. They're like, the best is a $5,000 a day private school. We're going to give you appropriate. You know? <laughs> so there's times where a parent gets frustrated because Kim's bringing home C's. Kim's big sisters are bringing home A's and A pluses. And the parents know that Kim is, you know, just on the same par, but what's going on. And yeah. the loss is that if the child is exhibiting any sort of thing that could impede their learning, the school needs to provide an evaluation. And that is what's going to drive the need for an IEP. Hmm. So I was thinking the word appropriate just sort of hit me like a ton of bricks. That just explains so much throughout like my whole public schooling experience. Like, oh my God, so much of it was just appropriate. Like it was just like, this is fine here, you know. So I was wondering, <laughs> uh, what in terms of... Yeah, exactly. Right. They'll just move you on. Um, and I was, I was wondering in, in terms of ADHD specifically, what types of accommodations or specific IEP uh, uh, properties, I suppose, I guess, um, 
have you found are, are most frequently asked for with people with ADHD or with children with ADHD? What seems to help the most? Um, what are just some common practices for, for IEPs um, for ADHD students, either hyperactive or inattentive? Well, now let me, let me go back a little bit and tell you that there are two things that a child with ADHD in the school, so they could either qualify for an IEP, and that's typically where we have to um, modify the education. So uh, that child has a math class, for instance, like my child who did not display number, I mean, she just was not picking up ABCs and, you know, by the time she got to first grade, I would say, okay, what comes up to 39? And she'd be like 80. And I'm just like, you shouldn't, you know, but she just wasn't, hadn't picked it up. So she needed the instructional piece. So for an IE, for a, an IEP student that need, that does not have a, um, learning disorder, but may need to catch up because maybe the parents didn't catch it, then those would be academic. And that's fairly easy. That would be kind of like, okay, we see where they're learning on this grade level. We're going to work with them to, to get up to speed. Um, but for the, an IEP also has something called accommodations, and that's kind of what you're referring to. So accommodations are what, accommodations level the playing field. Um, I would like to say accommodations are like access. So you have a kid that has a wheelchair, How's he going to get in? Where's he going to sit? You know, what accommodations are we going to make for this kid to be able to sit with all the other second graders and take school? Does he have a special desk? These are all the things. What are we going to provide? So um, a kid with ADHD has executive functioning issues. How are they going to take the material that the teacher is teaching, write it in their journal or whatever for homework? So we would have a lot of help on the front end. So the younger the child is, we're going to do a lot of help teaching that child. And that's where I fight for the IEP because that requires specially designed instruction. You don't just tell a kid that has ADHD, okay, you've got an accommodation for writing your homework. Let's see you write it. No, you have to <laughs> teach a kid that these things are not inherent. And so um, the extra time on tests is a big one, uh, but it also requires teaching a child. You finish, my kid, my ADHD kid is extremely impulsive. Well, everybody in this house has ADHD, but the one that, the, the little one, she's extremely competitive. So if little Jimmy finishes her math test first, my kid's gonna get finished, you know, really quickly and she's gonna make mistakes, you know? So it's like, okay, I still need to find some way to teach her that number one, it doesn't, who cares if it took you twice as long to finish? The big thing is that you're getting the better, you know, a good grade. So extra time on tests. Um, if the parent is telling me this child needs to be taught these things, and that's where I will be like, okay, we need an IEP because we can't just assume it. Um, a lot of breaks. School has changed. Uh, <laughs> I will be 52 next year. So I went to school from 74 to 87. We had like recess. I said, you know, what? No idea what kind of functioning today based on all the stuff the kids have to learn now. <laughs> Lunch and recess and gym every day and you know, all of these great things. And just lots of breaks were built in. But when you have that ADHD mind, you're sitting there listening. And the way our, you know, we've got electronic society just makes you just want to go quick, quick, quick. So your kid with ADHD may need extra breaks. So those are things that I build in. Um, and I also tell parents, we've got to, not only do we have to build in these extra breaks, we have to build in an advocacy goal 
saying my connection is unstable, but let me know. An advocacy goal where the child learns how to ask because these kids can have, my, my kid over here had, she had a fast pass when she would hold up her little thing when she needs a break. She never used it. She didn't know how to ask. I was like, we have to, when you're feeling like stressed or whatever, ask for it. How do you teach that to a child, you know? And so I think there's a big education that is, there's a big part of education that's lacking with our general education teachers. School to teach. My mother's a teacher. I've taught. I don't want to hear this, oh, you don't know what it's like. Yes, I have been middle school, okay? The kids are, you know, they're all hormonal and they don't know their name and oh, it's crazy. But, anyway, but they're so, and these kids are, the, the teachers, right? They go to school before they want to. I want to teach my teacher, Miss Johnson, in the first grade, is the best for me. I love her. And then they get out. They've never done any sort of special education. And now, the way society is and the way the law is, these kids are in the class because they can tolerate the curriculum, but the behaviors are more for a special education teacher. So, the, the general education teachers is like, I didn't go to school for this. <laughs> And so there's a disconnect between what's happening in college with these curriculum and teaching these, you know, uh, teaching these teachers how to be teachers. And then once they get out, they have a class where, depending on where they're serving, may have 20 to 30 percent of kids on IEPs that are in what the government defines as the least restrictive environment. So it's all a matter of how are we going to help these kids that have a disability. Um, do well, and how are we going to have these teachers recognize ADHD as a disability that I'm not choosing, I'm not choosing to not show you what's behind me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not choosing to not clean it up. I want to, it's just on my list of things to do. You know? and so it's, it's a, I think it's a learning curve that really has to happen. And I just do it one by one with, when I go into these meetings and I just kind of reset the tone in the room and explain the disability a little bit more. Hey everybody, you did it. Congratulations. You made it to the middle of the episode. I'm so proud of you. You did such an awesome job, buddy. Oh man. Oh man. I'm so proud of you. Good job. So we don't have a lot to announce this week, but we did want to remind you that Infinite Quest is brought to you in part by our good friends at zlool.com. That's Z-E-E-L-O-O-L.com. And if you use code KATIO, that's code C-A-T-I-E-O, they'll give you 10% off your order of your stylish, affordable, and cool kid glasses because zlool.com sells glasses, which I'm pretty sure I forgot to say in the beginning part of this, but they do. And it's Z-E-E-L-O-O-L.com. Um, also, we just wanted to let you know that it is official. Both Eric and myself will be appearing at Dragon Con. So that does mean that we're going to try and do some kind of meetup, some kind of say hello situation. We are currently working with Dragon Con to see how we can make that happen. Uh, but yeah, so if you're going to be a Dragon Con, we're going to be a Dragon Con. So uh, we'll figure out a time to swing by and say hello. Uh, that's it for the middle of the episode. So, uh, yeah. Back to the show. Transition. Well, it's, it's so interesting that you talked about um, teaching kids to advocate for themselves, like within within this like conversation, um, particularly because I know that like, I mean, that's something that I 
struggle with to this day is asking for help and asking for accommodations and even knowing the right questions to ask. Um, and so I know that earlier you also talked about the fact that like sometimes schools get like, Ooh, an advocate. Oh no. Like, but do you think that this type of work could, do you think it like helps to advocate for like the inclusion of neurodiverse kids, like just in like the school system and in, you know, I don't want to say society cause that's pretentious, but do you think like having this sort of like ready accessibility to things like IEPs, like ultimately helps neurodiverse kids? I think yes and no. I'm going to say yes and no. Every advocate is not the same. So if you mm-hmm. watch my TikToks or whatever you see, I'm like, I'm not like that. <laughs> and most of the time people, like, their stories are either the worst of the worst. You know, they, they, the one story I was telling about a kid that was handcuffed, you know, it was a nine-year-old little girl. Um, and it's a horrible story. But when I go into, I've been doing this for over 13 years. And so I can read a room like, you know, and it's like, okay, these people do not want to help or these people do not know. And so I've had two within the past week where one where they just had no idea, no clue why these work. They just, you know, kind of push these little kids along. And the other where it was clear that they knew they just didn't care. And so I handle them differently. And sometimes when an advocate goes into one of these meetings, how they treat the room is going to shape how those teachers move forward with those kids. And um, almost every IEP meeting I do, and I, I don't always go into IEP meetings. Like I said, I do, you know, part of my services. If I'm talking to a parent and they know what they're talking about, they just aren't quite sure. And I'm like, look, you don't need to pay to have me sit in the meeting. I can, you know, you can pay me services to call you. I'll read through all of your stuff and tell you what I think you should say. But Save your money, you know, or I will say, oh, no, honey, you need me there because you're just not going to do it. But what I will say when I tell parents, I'm like, you know, when it's all of us sitting in a room and there's no kid there, I always tell the parents to bring their kids. But if they don't want to bring the kid, whatever, the focus goes away from the kid and onto the egos. So it's like, okay, the principal, I'm not going, you know, you don't know who you're dealing with personality wise. And so if you go into a meeting and you say, I don't think anybody in here, I think we're all on the same page that we want to help Kim. I think we're all on the same page that that meltdown that she had last week where she kicked you. And I'm so sorry, Miss Susie. And I'm glad I'm happy that the baby's OK. I mean, you know, I'm happy that you're recovering nicely and, and we'll sign your cast. You know, but um, like, I'm so sorry. But we know that behaviors are I'm not making any excuses. She had it. She has ADHD. And with that comes, you know, came a meltdown. And we kind of were looking at maybe an ODD diagnosis or something. Uh, Behavior is communication. And she, while the while she does not test um, poorly in terms of cognitive abilities, her social, emotional, and behavior abilities are they're housed in that little prefrontal cortex that, you know, for none of us are going to be fully developed until 25, 26, whatever. And unfortunately, the teachers who know not the kids have a developed prefrontal cortex, the ADHD kids, we don't know when they're <laughs> developed. So you know, I, I hope that you know that that 
attention by my child kicking you or whatever was not so it was was due to her inability to express herself with her words and how can we as a team work together to figure out the best way for her to identify her feelings to use the words that are kind when she is having a problem to apologize if she's having a problem so we can keep the physical stuff from happening again or for my kid uh she would cuss so that was like a little three-year-old the, the third grader saying like the f word and i get a call from the teacher and i'm just like she goes for the jugular you know when, when we go when we're at a 10 we go for whatever a 10 is well when i'm at a 10 i'm i still don't cuss anybody out but i am you know i know how to use my words so it's like okay how can we not take that personally recognize that this child needs help and provide her with the help mm-hmm. and i think so, that resets the room when they realize you know this kid needs help this kid needs help where you're in this position because you want to educate children. This is a tough nut to crack. She loves you, whether she loves a teacher or not. But she loves, she loves school. How can we help her better communicate her needs? Gotcha. And so, a lot of times we'll calm everybody down. I'm, 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 I'm really impressed with how much of what you do seems to be like this room reader sort of social like master <laughs> thing it's really it's really interesting i wouldn't have expected that <laughs> um so uh, let's say there's there are, there's a parent listening to this right now they're listening to this interview uh and they're thinking my child needs uh, some form of iep or or, or a, a special attention in that way um what are the first things that they do like as soon as they stop listening to this whether they have a child with uh, an autism diagnosis or perhaps undiagnosed adhd whatever they have what is like the first couple things that they do um to move in that direction i'm all about them getting help as soon as possible and um while i would say call a doctor first you're going to be on a waiting list especially if it's autism so and not only like i said the doctor is going to provide a diagnosis but then you take that to the school and they've got to do their own testing so that parent is going to get on the the emailer (laughs) and send an email to the and this is a parent that is whose kid is at homeschool private school public school idea is a federal law your taxes pay for it, whether you are paying for shishi poo private school, your public school can address some of these issues, okay? So you can send an email to, uh, assuming you go to the school, so send an email to the teacher that your child has, the assistant principal, and if you want to, if there's a head of special education, you would do that as well. If you're not at the school, and this is for school-age kids, there's a different process if your child is younger than that. But um, if you're not at the school, then you can just go to your district, whatever the district is for your house, um, for where you live, and look up special education coordinator. I always say send it to at least two people, um, hopefully three, (laughs) because emails get lost. And you just want to say, I think that I would like to have Kimberly assessed for special education because, and then you list the symptoms. You do not say... I think she's dyslexic. When you say dyslexic, the school will pick up their panties and run. I don't know what it is. They just, I don't know what it is. They just, they hear, schools can can assess for dyslexia, but they just do, we don't do it, we don't. And so 
do not use the word diagnose. You're just going to say assessed. I would like to have Kimberly tested because she seems really distracted. Um, she may get home. Like she seemed like she had a great day at school all day. The minute she gets home, she has a meltdown. Um, she is, when we go over homework, she falls all over the place screaming and crying and she doesn't want to do it. She is having a very hard time telling me what they did in school that day. These are, you know, again, you can Google some of these symptoms of ADHD. We know a lot of them, but some of them are kind of obscure that we don't necessarily know. And it's like, oh, I didn't know that was ADHD. <laughs> and you can say, she's doing that, she's doing that, she's doing this. And then you want to end the email with, when can we meet to discuss this? We love, we love, we love that initiative. We love an initiative statement. <laughs> yeah. A lot of times they will, they'll just, oh, okay, that's really nice. You know, and they might email you back. No, I want to meet. If you're going to deny me, I want to see you face to face on zoom or in person so we can talk about it. And then what happens from there, they need to get back to this. So the law requires that these states get back to the parent within a reasonable amount of time. And then the law further says that they do testing within a certain amount of days uh, they provide the IEP within a certain amount of days. And I'm not giving the specific days because the idea says, uh, gives you a guideline of 60 days. So from the, if we all agree in the meeting, we're going to do an assessment on Kimberly. The day that I sign that consent form as Kimberly's parent, they have 60 days from that day to sit down with me with the final evaluation, the decision and all of that. That's from the federal law. The state I'm in is 90 days. So they leave some of that up to the state. California's 30 days. <laughs> so, you know, it's that, but the highest is 90 days. The lowest is 30 days. And then from that day, it may be five days for an IEP, depending on the state, 15 days, that kind of thing. So um, that would be the first thing. So the parent would send that email. I would not let that email sit without an answer for more than five days. Uh, I, my, my philosophy is I send the same e email, second request, and then I carbon a few other people that are higher up. <laughs> nice. 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 It's going to the school board or something. I don't usually get to number three. Um, but I have parents who have asked for this in, uh, verbally. And, oh no, we think she's fine. Well, it's not being in writing is the issue so if it's not in writing then they don't have to say well we didn't you know it was in within this particular particular amount of time but the other thing that i would want a parent to know that if the school so you want that meeting even if they're saying well we don't we're still gonna have the meeting i want to for and it is called an iep meeting whether the child's going to get an iep or not okay so you're going to meet that initial meeting they're going to sit and they're going to talk what happens a lot of times is the school will say well we don't have enough data Let's 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 have him, you know, uh, get in this tutoring program, this intervention program that's kind of unofficial for a few weeks, and then we'll see. They can't do that either. <laughs> that was like my first viral video on TikTok. You cannot. The, the law say, states that you cannot delay or deny assessing a child that hasn't that possibly has a disability. You can do response intervention at the same time, but at the same time, you need to be testing. So what I want the parent to know is when you sit in that meeting, even if they have uh, said they have enough data and they're not sure or they're saying what you're saying, you know, well, the kid doesn't have any cognitive issues or their grades are fine, they still need to deny you with a process. So that's why I say it wants to be, you want to have an official. Good old America, we have due process. 
So there, at any point that the school says no, they have to provide you with something called a prior written notice kind of a misnomer because he's like prior, prior to what, you know, but a prior written <laughs> notice is what comes after every, it doesn't come before the IEP meeting, it comes after the IEP meeting, but before services start or don't start. So after my daughter's IEP meeting, I will get prior written notice and it will say, these are, this is what we talked about. Here's what's going to start when we start her, her IEP. And it's usually within a day. So we're going to, you're going to get this piece of paper that says what we discussed at the IEP meeting. And it will say the district proposed or refused. So for my daughter, we might've said, well, you know, I really would like for her to have a, a chocolate shake every day. And because she's great, you know, well, we don't have to provide her with a chocolate shake. <laughs> so we're going to refuse that, you know, so the district refused and then we have to provide research-based information as to why. And so, so many times I will see, well, they said no, because um, teacher observation says that his behaviors are fine. Great. However, the law states that we need more than one evaluation. We need a variety. We need research-based. I respect you as a teacher and as a professional that has an education. However, you are one person. And we consider the school one entity. So it can't be five teachers in the school all said that he doesn't need it. It needs to be this school. And then we also need to have testing done from a psychologist. So guess what? We're going to do testing. <laughs> That's super so interesting. I didn't know that. At each point. So if they say, no, 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 we don't think she, no, we don't need tests. Okay, well, please put that in the PWN, which is the prior written notice. And so I will have schools look at me like this all the time. Like, <laughs> I want it because I know that you have to document why you're saying no, and you have to tell me why. You can't just say, well, Katie said that he was really cute. So we don't want to cute. <laughs> I love how similar so much of this is to getting an ADHD diagnosis of like having to like note refusals and yeah. note like bullshittery and like I look it just fascinates me it's amazing to me I mean there's some states are different I've, I've done probably I need one of those scratch out things I've done APs this year in about 12 states and some states are like Oprah with the keys to the car. You don't get an IEP. You don't get an IEP. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and I'm just like, what is going on? I have not had a meeting once where I haven't gotten a child an IEP, but that's because I've, I've. It's because you're great at your job. <laughs> say, it, say it again. I said it's because you're awesome at your job. <laughs> you know, there's, I have a, a, a well, one, one thing, I, yeah, I, did, I, I have a lot of tactics that I used over the years, and it, but most of the time it's just the law. But there's times where I will tell a parent, like I told a parent this this week in Colorado, I'm just like, why do you think your child needs an IEP? And she was just, well, I, you know, I've heard it's better than a 504. And, it's, and I'm just like, okay, well, what do we need? So it, I talked, explained to her that we could get all of the services that she was asking for on a 504. Her child did not need specially designed instruction. Her child did not want an IEP. So that's the difference between ADHD and autism. Um, my, my autistic kid is also ADHD, but she doesn't really care about what people think around her. <laughs> so yeah. Straight A's and an honor class, but she'll pick her nose and, you know, just <laughs> whereas a kid that just has ADHD may have just has ADHD. Um, that's from an adult who just has ADHD. Um, will 
indicators, you know, and they look at special education, they may have a stigma attached to it, you know, um, and they, she, the, the daughter didn't want to be in special education. So I'm like, well, what, what are you pushing for your kid to want to be, she's 13, she's one year away from being able to attend the IEP meeting by her, you know, with her mom, um, legally or whatever. And she was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I said, well, she, you want to have like extra time and all, all of that can be done on a 504. Yeah. You know, so people well, have like that it's an understanding of what it is and what we can do with them. And I can make a 504 almost as good as an IEP. They just are different structures and they're under different laws. Well, it's really interesting that you talked about the stigma um, with an IEP because um, so we told our listeners that we were going to do an IEP episode and we got, you know, like a lot of amazing comments and people were like, yes, I want to learn about this. Um, but we also got what I was really surprised about was like a, like a big number of comments that like kind of like raised concerns about IEPs. And like, obviously we are not IEPs uh, strategists or specialists or advocates. But we're like, well, we happen to have one on the podcast. Um, so we were wondering um, like if we could maybe like use this opportunity to kind of like, like talk to you about those questions and you could like clear up those like misconceptions and like, and that kind of thing, if you're up for it. I'm up for it. Cool. Okay. So the first one that we heard, um, was that, uh, like a criticism of IPs is that they can put a label on kids. So like that becomes the focus or the target of unwanted attention. Like you are autistic, you have ADHD, like whatever. Um, and the kid will be labeled as, you know, just the autistic kid or just the ADHD kid or whatever. Um, and then even sort of further down that train of thought is this idea that like, if your kid is labeled autistic or ADHD, then it's like they've got a target on their back and they're you know the like if they're ever misbehaving they're going to be held to a higher standard because of these these standards um so like how do parents work with teachers and work with with their kid in order to like use the IEP for good but like not let it be the thing that like defines their kid well, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to talk first about autism. And because I have ADHD, you might have to rein it back in because I'll go off on a tangent. <laughs> oh, we, we deal with that with each other all day. <laughs> but mom, you know, I went around for the longest time like my child is not autism. She has autism. She may one day be cured from autism. So we don't want to say she has autism. And I got my butt handed to me from an autistic adult. Like, what is wrong with saying that she's autistic? I'm like, well, I'm choosing to say that she has autism and really this is probably within the past like six or seven years where um I've, i had to really focus on what autistic adults were saying which was fun with being autistic like this is a part of me it's not separated from me and so but it took me a minute when when parents ask me about that the first thing i say is I try to get behind the parent issue with it. I'm like, okay, do you have an issue with that child yeah. having the label? Because I know I did. Because I, you know, I can, when I'm speaking to these parents, when I'm speaking to these teachers, I, I, there's nobody that can tell me, you haven't been where I am. Yes, I have. I taught 
yes, I have, I have autistic. So I'm like, I can tell you, you know, I don't have everything. But so I say to them, okay, well, what is the issue? And so we kind of talk about it from that standpoint, because being the old lady that I am, there was, you know, the R word was a, it was on the side of buses when I was a kid, you know, and these were the kids that were sent to facility. I had no idea. And that was the word that we used for kids that had a slower development that are typically known as kids that have Down syndrome and until it became used as an insult. And it was, so there was a stigma for my generation, I guess I'm Generation X, I don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> for my generation, oh my gosh, special needs, they have special needs. And so I usually will say to the parent, well, the label, there's a couple things. Number one, you have an ex any teacher that is, uh, has at least two, one or two years of ex experience will know the ADHD kids, the autistic kids, whether they have a diagnosis or not kids stand out okay yeah. and so when and for the longest time like I diagnosed my I'm not a doctor but I diagnosed my daughter at 10 months you know we had to go to a few different places to make sure that she got a, a good diagnosis but she didn't get a diagnosis until 28 months I thought autism at 10 months and I would tell her preschool teachers I think she's autistic and I would have these preschool this two two different preschool teachers said I'm so glad you know how is she gonna be a burden you know these are all things that these whole horrible conceptions I had to get over um where teachers were just like we usually on the opposite end we know but the parent doesn't know and so at least you know you know and so you're telling us all of the things that she needs help with okay if you do it this way it'll work this way you know that kind of thing and so i will talk to the parent a lot because i'm like well what does your daughter think well they don't know so you don't think that they know they don't know that all these other kids are doing something this way and they're, you know, they're, you don't think that they don't have an idea. <laughs> so yeah. we'll talk a little bit. And I mean, I'm not a counselor or anything, but I just tell them what we do in our house. I'm like, look, we have three A's in our house. We have adoption. Our youngest is adopted, autism and ADHD, and we're not ashamed of them. And so we, we lead with them. It is what it is. But when the child needs services to help them, why not give that to the child? And I don't see, in my experience, and you know, we've got, I've got a million reasons to be marginalized. I'm like fat, you know, and I'm not a woman. <laughs> and, you know, and so there's lots of other ways that you can, you know, to, to label me, but I have not experienced um, my daughter's autism being something that is blamed for um, something bad. Uh, it is, I, I lead with my ADHD all the time. So I say, it is not an excuse. It is a reason. It is the reason why I completely forgot this or whatever. And I had to learn how to apologize. You know, that's another thing. Well, so I am, um... I was diagnosed pretty early with ADHD. I was 15. Um, I had no idea the actual implications of that. I thought it was just a school thing. And like when I, if I wasn't in school, then I didn't have ADHD, which is obviously not correct. Um, but, uh, and I had mild behavioral problems. I wasn't punching kids or, 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 you know, lighting stuff on fire, but mild behavior problems. I was always running around trying to get people. That's the stuff. gold standard that you come up with lighting yeah. stuff on fire. I don't know. Is that not an example of That's, a behavioral problem? Yeah. If you're in a 1980, if you're a bully in a 1980s movie. <laughs> Anyways, 
the idea, I didn't know it as an IEP, IEP at the time. I don't even know if that's what it was called at the time, but I know that it was sort of the, the idea of me getting some sort of uh, altered um, experience at school, whatever that may be, whether it be, you know, breaks or extended time on tests or whatever. And I, as, as the student, always vociferously said no i would go on rants I, I i never wanted it because i was terrified that my um parents uh and teachers weren't going to get along and that my i and my my teachers wouldn't get along and i'm and i'm forcing them to do more and looking back i really wish that i had just thought you know what that's their job is to teach students and i i, I wish i had gone for it um, so I just was wondering, in case there are any students now listening who who are now starting to hear this sort of thing come up in their lives, um, how would you address those concerns about driving a wedge between the student and teacher or the parents and the teacher? And and what what would you say to those those students themselves? Well, first off, um, IDEA and 504 have both been around since the 70s. So, yes, it was a <laughs> question <laughs> answered there. Nice. So, Rehabilitation Act of, of 1974 um, is where the 504 came from. And then IDEA was called something else, but it started in 1975. So, they were, they were around. Um, yeah, I, the biggest thing that I say to parents is I don't care if your kid is nonverbal, needs a feeding tube, is not doesn't seem like he's understanding where them at that meeting because I want them to first of all I want to see how the, this is a there's twofold I want to see how the teachers are behaving around my kids but I also want my child to learn what types of things that they need so that they can begin to advocate for themselves and it's not um, if you feel like if, part of it, the reduction sensitive dysphoria and different parts about um, ADHD, you don't want to be a burden. Once you realize, oh gosh, you know, this teacher might have to do a little extra for me. You, there is a little bit of guilt that comes yeah. along with that. However, <laughs> there's also um, the, the understanding of what ADHD is can really empower a kid. So when you explain to a child, look, and, and you explain it to them not in a negative way, like you've got ADHD, you know, that this is what, so I, for my eight-year-old, I am always saying to her, that's part of your ADHD. Mommy, I can't, you know, I, I, I just don't want to do this. I'm just like, it's okay. Well, let's do now. That's just part of your ADHD. Well, I don't want to have ADHD. Well, neither do I. Guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and I bet you your father doesn't want to, you know, be going bald, you know, early or whatever. It'll work. It's a lot of things that we don't want. So it's kind of humanizing this. And it's not, it, you know, we grew up in a generation where I didn't want to eat my spinach. And we watched Popeye. Oh my gosh, how old am I, Lord? Anyway, <laughs> Popeye ate the spinach, you know, but he ate it like right out of the can. And that was supposed to help kids feel like eating spinach. But I was like, he's dumb. Why is he eating that spinach? And so <laughs> give it to the dog, you know? Um, so you don't want to be, but I also was raised with, there's starving children in Ethiopia, you know? And I'm like, well, I'll be happy to mail them my plate, you know, as we get smarter. So kids get smarter and more um, able to kind of explain away things as they get older. And so I think the best way is to be just as honest as you possibly can. You have this thing called ADHD. 
Let's figure out what it is and how it works for you. And the more they learn about, look, this is not there. This is not the end of the world. This is not the worst thing to happen. You got it from me. You got things from me, you know, like you got it from me or you got it from daddy or whatever. And this is how you learn. You learn best with this or you learn best when you are you get to watch a video first. Or um, for me, I didn't know I, you know, I, again, I, even though I grew up in the, I went, I started kindergarten in 1974. So this idea came about a year after. <laughs> I'll cover my gray hair. <laughs> anyway, um, I haven't colored it yet. Then it's happening this weekend. But anyway, um, and so for the longest time, you know, like I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Didn't know my parent and my mother was a teacher, so I make her feel guilty all the time at eighty. I'm like, you know, mom, I but um, in college, I'd sit there and listen to these lectures and walk out of the lecture like I have no idea what this dude said. What this dude said. No, because I went to college in 91 to, I uh, graduated college in 1991. I didn't hear of ADHD to maybe like 95, 96 or whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, I have that, you know. But back in college, I was like, going to, because I also grew up in, you ever was watch Good Times? Like, how old am I really? If you've never seen JJ or whatever. So my dad was like the dad on Good Times, like with the belt and all that, you know. <laughs> So I was like, how am I going to get out of college, you know, in four years? Because that was my dad. You did four years or you're paying for it yourself, you know. And if I'm not able to understand what this guy is saying in class. And so what I start, I started to figure it out on my own. And I use some of the same techniques, techniques with my kids. But it was... I would read, I'd get, okay, they're going over the the uh, economic whatever. I took, don't ask why I took it, economics, but um, they're going over, <laughs> I read the chapter on Saturday and I took notes on Saturday. So then when we went over the, it through the week, I'm looking out the window, I'm coming back I'm like, oh, you're talking about this. I know, I got to, you know, I didn't have to pay full attention. And so those are the things that I do with my kids now. I'm just like, okay, look, as a part of your autism for my autistic daughter, her reading comprehension sucks. She's reading on, she was reading, she's got something called hyperlexia, which they, she was reading uh, fluently. Like she could sit there and read the, the plane in Spain or whatever at, at age four. And because she's tiny, we'd be in the grocery store and she'd be like reading the the um, magazine, the year to change the world, activist journalists and art, you know, and they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is a two-year-old kid, you know, because she looked like she was two. But, but she did not ever pick up the comprehension until later. So she's, so reading is divided into decoding words and then comprehending what you've read. So her comprehension is grade level. But for the longest time, it was really, so what's working for you? You read two sentences and they have to ask you what happened and you're telling me you don't know. So now we figured out for her, she's got to get the book on Audible. So she's got the book, she's following it along and she's got to listen to it at the same time. The eight-year-old is, didn't care less, all she wants to do is play. <laughs> but she needs what they call, I call preloading. So she needs preloading. And so there's, for her, it, and I think what happens when you're a kid and you're just like, I don't want to do this and I don't, you know, I, I, how do I advocate for myself or how do I um, make the most out of this ADHD is by understanding what it is, recognizing that it's not, there's nothing that you did or anybody else did to get it. And then what are the best ways that you can do to overcome it? And as a parent, Paper if my eight-year-old doesn't want to do it. The success she gets afterwards helps her to go back to, okay, 
fine. I'll read the chapter before. And it's, you know, 15, 20 minutes. We're just going to look at this. We're, oh, they're going to talk about George Washington. And they're going to do this or whatever. You know, did you know this? Or I'll read it with her and make it kind of sound fun. Good guys over here on the space shuttle. So they're, are, they're fighting with the Russians because they want to get on the moon first. How petty is that? You know, just little stuff like that. We're all trying to make it fun. And it really helps them to recognize, okay, you need this in a different way than maybe everybody else. Am I on the same topic that we're supposed to be on? Oh, it's an ADHD yeah, podcast. It's an ADHD, yeah, it's, 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 it's your fine. We just, we just let it happen. <laughs> just as we wrap up, do you have any uh, websites, resources, phone numbers to call for uh, for parents who are listening to this or, or of age uh, students who are listening to this um, that they can go find more information and, and, and that kind of stuff uh, or even uh, if they can sign up for uh, consultations with you. Typically do like a 15 minute free consult where I just shut up, which is really hard and listen <laughs> and I'll say, oh, you know, we're really having a hard time. And then I say, okay, this is what I think I can do. Um, when I do a, a workshop or, you know, to do something for someone else, I will set up a code where those um, people that are there can log on and get 30 minute free consultation. So I'm happy to provide that. I don't know if I would just email that to you. I'll create it. This is because ADHD, I didn't have it created beforehand, but I'll email it to you afterwards. And so they would just, you would just give them that link. Cool. What we'll do for uh, the folks listening at home is we will set up an extra page um, for uh, Kizito and Associates. Um, and that will have all of uh, Kim's links. We'll have everything, all the places that you can find her. Um, so you can set that up for, for our listeners and they will be able to find you that way. Awesome. And then if you have a, you know, I, I did write a book. The book is called, I Used to Hate IEP Meetings. It's on Amazon. Nice. <laughs> Kim Kizito um, and K-I-Z-I-T-O. And then I'm the IEP strategist on TikTok and Instagram. I am not on Twitter. I probably am on Twitter because I created a Twitter account, but it's just too much to <laughs> I, I tried to do Twitter. It's just oh, too hard. It's just, there's something about Twitter that just makes my brain itch. And I, there's a grammar thing with, there's this perfectionist thing where I'm just like, I don't want to write you are. I want to write, write Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. Yeah. <laughs> right? I can, it hits my ears weird. It's like ear, you yeah. know? It's like somebody's whispering it right in my ear. Yeah. No, <laughs> no offense to the Twitter people out there. Oh no, there's some it's great Twitter different, people. It's a different. All 50 states and the reason I can handle all 50 states there's no no licensing to become an advocate. Um, I, I, the idea is a federal law. And what I do when I get someone from a different state is I just pull up their state information to figure out what's different. And it's typically not that different there. I'm there may be 45 days instead of 60 days or that kind of thing. And so, um, I can usually provide uh, coaching or be right there at the IEP meeting with them. That's awesome. Fantastic. Oh, we have one question that we 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 forgot to ask you earlier. Um, but this is a question that we ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Uh, it's a very serious question. Very important. Take your answer very seriously, uh, Eric. If you would please. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I I we I insisted we we do we started doing this from the very beginning. I'm so happy so we did. So stupid. Uh, well, Kimberly, if you could magically snap your fingers and become fluent in every language ever spoken, or masterful at every instrument ever invented which would you choose language 
no hesitation really why, no hesitation. why is not that? a single bit ahead we love um, we love a confident answer um i took 10 years 13 so many years of french and never got to use it um my daughter is part puerto rican so i've, I've been trying to to learn spanish and it sucks when you're my age <laughs> but um i i think that learning languages gets you everywhere you want to go hmm. and I love to be, I'm just a, I'm the meet the person in the shopping line, make a friend type of person. And so if someone's speaking Arabic and I'm like, hey, you know, and I can speak that and I can just broaden my network of friends. I think that would be awesome. Hmm. Much as I love music, but Hmm. No, <laughs> with the languages. Gotcha. Well, uh, Kimberly Kizito, thank you so much for being with us today. It was just a lovely time. Um, it's always nice when we have a guest on and they too have ADHD. It's just like a big old ADHD party. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks. I think Katie and I just kind of like fell backwards into each other. I'm just like, does this chick really like want to be bothered with me? <laughs> we absolutely we are honored to be bothered by you. <laughs> that was great meeting you, Eric. You are no longer top liver. Oh, well, thank you very much. I have de-chopped myself. I'm just regular liver now. Regular liver with onions and... <laughs> I mean, like a nice pate. I don't like this book, but it's all good. Um, all right. Well, thanks again, Kimberly. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Have a great wow. rest of your day. Thank you. Bye. Well, everybody, that's it for us this week at Infinite Quest. Once again, we'd like to extend a huge thank you to the IEP strategist Kim Cazito for sharing her wisdom and her expertise with us here at Infinite Quest. And as always, we'd like to remind you that if you're interested in supporting Infinite Quest, you can do that by visiting patreon.com slash infinite quest. And... As promised, if you subscribe to Infinite Quest in May or June this year, you get your name in a song. So, um, here's this week's song. My chair is so squeaky. Thank you to Shannon and to Reese and also Jonathan. Louise, who paid in British pounds, and due to the exchange rate, we get an extra 62 cents a month. God save the queen. Next, thank you to Frankie and to David. You guys are great. Thanks to all of you, we get to do this. Every week. We're so grateful. And I wish I knew more than three chords because maybe with four or five I could find a way to say thank you for all of this. But this is what I got. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for supporting us. And as always, from your friends at Infinite Quest, take your meds and drink some fucking water. We'll see you next week. Be kind to yourself and to others.
me and Eric and our D&D DM Chris and our invisible producer Brian. We love you.